This is war. That's one of the rallying cries in the protests that have swept through the streets of Poland for weeks after the government announced a new abortion restriction. Protesters say it would amount to an almost total ban on abortion in a country that already has some of the most restrictive abortion laws in Europe. I need to fight for my daughter's future. I cannot imagine not being here. This isn't the first time Poland's ruling right-wing Law and Justice Party has tried to limit abortion. When it attempted to pass laws through Parliament over the last few years, people protested and politicians backed off. Then on October 22nd, the government announced the restriction via a controversial constitutional tribunal, which critics say is largely controlled by the ruling party. Critics say the government is now using a stacked court to bypass debates in parliament and pandemic rules to suppress protests. This time around, the protests are their biggest yet, and the biggest in the country since the fall of communism in 1989. And while the government put an indefinite pause on the new ban after protests, people are still angry. We'll hear from a feminist scholar and from a protester in Warsaw, as well as a pair of organizers from Łódź. They'll take us behind the scenes of Poland's protest movement. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. After several straight days of protests, Poland's government indefinitely delayed the abortion ban that had people out in the streets. But even after the government put a pause on the restriction, people kept protesting. To understand why, we talked to Agnieszka Graf. My name is Agnieszka Graf, and I'm a writer, um, an academic. I work at the American Studies Center in Warsaw University, and I've written a few feminist books. I've also written a text about the meanings of the protests going on these days. And apparently the young people liked it a lot because it said that they were making history, which is something I very strongly believe. So Poland has had several high profile and high impact protests over abortion bans over the last several years. This isn't new, but this one does feel different, is it? Yes, it is a series of protests and not just protests about abortion. It is a series of protests against the law and justice government, which came into power in uh, the fall of 2015. They are about an authoritarian government which has dismantled the independent judiciary, which has attacked independent media, which has basically dismantled democracy in Poland. So abortion is part of it, but it is a very important part. We'll talk about the fragile state of Poland's democracy in a bit. But let's start with the abortion ban itself, the spark for all of this. Before this ban was announced, the context was already grim for anyone seeking an abortion in Poland. Poland has had one of the most restrictive anti-abortion laws since 1993. So basically abortion is banned except for three exceptions. When the pregnancy is a threat to the woman's life when the pregnancy is an effect of rape or incest, and the exception based on irreparable fetal damage. So we're talking about very serious fetal damage, often leading to death of tiny babies and unspeakable suffering of the mother. So this last exception, the one allowing for abortion in the case of fetal abnormalities, that's what the court banned. It's the basis for about 98% of legal abortions in Poland. 
And it's important to note that abortion still happens whether it's legal or not. Underground networks help provide abortion pills and send people abroad to do the procedure surgically. But by issuing this ban, the court was further restricting the very few options to get a legal abortion in Poland. And so people took to the streets. Defiance on the streets. Tens of thousands of people on the streets of Warsaw. The streets were blocked, bringing traffic to a standstill. It started with a series of blockades of the largest roundabouts in Warsaw, and they were coordinated by the Polish women's strike with Marta Lempart as a kind of charismatic leader. But they were spontaneously organized on the ground by individuals who got groups of people to come and block the intersections in their parts of town. My part of town is quite important because we are right at the end of a bridge connecting two sides of Warsaw. So blocking that place was strategically important. So Agnieszka planned a blockade herself. Me and my best friend, we set up a Facebook event hoping that maybe 100 people would show up and keep walking across the street. And to our amazement, at four o'clock the following day, which is when it was supposed to start, we had, well, first a few groups and then very quickly it was about two, three thousand people. It's hard to estimate. And they were walking around. Some of them were on bikes. Some of them were with dogs. Some of them were with cars heavily plastered with banners and lots of music, lots of noise, lots of excitement. It was kind of like a party, except it was a party where usually cars go by. And yeah, it was great fun and it went on and on and on. And, you know, I'm 50, so I I don't do things for that long. But when we suggested that it was time to go home, we got a round of applause, but nobody was going anywhere. They just kept going and apparently they kept going for five hours. The same thing was obviously happening in other more major city intersections. So the city was completely at a standstill. For Agnieszka, who's been involved in the feminist movement for decades, in a lot of ways, these protests are about handing the baton to a new generation, ready to fight the same fight, but in a different context. Why was it important for you to organize this blockade? What brought you out there? Well, I'm a, um, I'm a kind of veteran of the feminist movement in Poland. I was a co-organizer of a series of marches in the early 2000s also oriented against the ultra-conservative right and the ban on abortion. But at the time, it was, you know, part of a of democratic process to protest in the streets. And now it's much more violent, it's much more determined, and the government is, is not so democratic. So I consider myself an activist slash public intellectual slash teacher. And I must say, I was very moved to see my, my own students at that intersection. There were a few, actually guys, on their bikes, circling around and waving. And there are a lot of guys participating in the protests, too. My name is Kajetan Lipalski. I'm 20 years old. I've lived in Warsaw all my life, and right now I'm studying here at Warsaw University. While he wasn't at Professor Graf's blockade that day, he knows her personally. I've heard about her from my mother's stories. They were both actively fighting for human rights, women's rights. Kayatan's been going to feminist protests for a long time. His mom took him to one when he was six, and he went again a few years ago when the government first pushed the ban. He told us why it was important for him, as a man, to be in the street. 
I'm aware that this is a women's strike. Solidarity is necessary. But beyond that, I think that it's not only about solidarity. It's also about treating people equally. I want to live in a country where women are free as men. This strike is not only about law, it's about government tendencies to make Poland a religious state. It's fighting against patriarchal thought, where women's goal is to be a mother. And these protests were happening across the country, including places like Łódź, a post-industrial city a couple of hours away from Warsaw. We talked to a pair of organizers from the Łódź chapter of Gals for Gals, a Polish feminist group. I am Wiktoria Sakowicz. I am based in Łódź. And I'm 21 years old. My name is Gosia Wachowska, and I am one of the founders of Girls for Girls in Łódź. And now, since I've been based in Berlin for a year and a half, I'm active here in Girls for Girls Berlin. When Victoria and Gosia found out about the ban, they were mad and ready to act. When I heard about this ban, I was thinking that Okay, we are in a time where the pandemic should be the most important for the government. I was thinking that, again, they're taking away my human rights. And I think for many other people, it was not only the protests because of abortion, but also anti-government. First of all, we were all really pissed off, which we weren't um, trying to hide. The message was quite strong. It was simply, fuck off, we don't want you anymore, like, get the fuck off. I must say that our emotional reaction wasn't, like, we didn't pay much attention to that, I would say. We just took it to streets. We just started to take action. As Gosha mentioned, protesters were pretty open with their strong feelings. Agnieszka told us this too. This is a a movement whose spirit is determined by the youthful energy of the kids out there. So there's a lot of dancing in the streets, there's singing, there are signs which are extremely playful, some of them very provocative and using indecent language. One of the main slogans of the protests is, this is war. Women's hell is another. A lot of the the signs are just shouting profanities at the government. And one of the, the, the most popular signs actually consists of eight asterisks. And the words behind the asterisks are profanity. The energy is a very strange combination of anger and joy. I would say it's a kind of explosion of pure emotion. They're not making an argument. They're expressing extremely strong feelings. And I've had a few conversations with my students and they all said that they were shaken up to the core and that they were experiencing these extreme emotions, both joy to be there with their friends, to feel the energy of the crowds, but also despair that their future lives will be lived under this autocratic government with no way out. When the government delayed the ban, the head of the prime minister's office told Polish media that, quote, it would be good to take some time for dialogue, end quote. They also asked protesters to stand down because of the pandemic. Despite a strong security presence and coronavirus warnings, protesters ignored the government's stay-at-home order. We do not want to increase the risk of infection by letting people gather in large groups. Some politicians took a different tone. Jarosław Kaczynski, a leader in the Law and Justice Party and one of Poland's most important politicians, said, 
The protests were trying to destroy the Polish nation and called on supporters to defend Poland and its churches, which had become sites of protests. Protests and counter-protests are happening daily across Poland, including in front of churches. Agnieszka says she heard similar rhetoric across the media. We have to defend the church because we are defending Poland. Kaczynski's address to the nation was, you know, was quite astonishing that way. But I think where he miscalculated big time is in assuming that this is going to go away and be forgotten. I think this is going to be a formative experience for for this young generation. This is the first time in ever, basically, that young people said no to the Catholic Church in Poland. The clergy is no longer untouchable in Poland. They're no longer like the holy cow of the nation because they are assumed to represent the national spirit. In general, younger Poles are far less religious than their older counterparts. And in a country where the church plays such a widespread role in politics, that shift could have big implications. As Victoria put it, It's like 30 years old compromise between politicians and the priests. So it's like, where are the women? The Law and Justice Party has brought the church and the state even closer together. Agnieszka says these ties between politicians and priests are part of the reason why so many young people are out in the street. Here she is quoting a leader in the women's movement. Marta Lempart, she said that abortion is merely a symbol of what these protests are really about, and they are about freedom. They are about a young generation of Poles rejecting uh, the kind of dictate of the church that had been accepted as a matter of fact in the last few decades. So it's not about access to abortion. It's about the last straw that broke the camel's back, right? And I think the, the young people are really reacting to the indignity of this verdict, which, by the way, was made by the Constitutional Tribunal, which in itself is, is like a slap in the face because the existence of this tribunal is part of the longer process of dismantling of democracy in Poland that these kids are furious about. Poland's opposition conservatives have claimed a stunning victory. The Eurosceptic Law and Justice Party has unseated the incumbent pro-Europe civic platform after eight years in power. When the Law and Justice Party won its parliamentary elections in 2015, it swung the country to the right. And in the years since they've been in power... The Polish government is systematically replacing the heads of public radio and television. These are tense times for Poland, whose ruling right-wing nationalist government is attempting to remove Supreme Court judges and replace them with Ministry of Justice appointees. The ruling Law and Justice Party policies are making waves in Brussels, amid fears of a shift towards authoritarian rule. The party has solidified its hold over the government and the court system, passing a series of reforms that critics say go against the independence of Poland's judiciary. And that includes the Constitutional Tribunal, the same court that passed the abortion ban last month. The governing Law and Justice Party asking a court made up mainly of its own appointees to review the issue. So you mentioned that one of the feelings that some younger protesters have is that there's no way out and that this is the life they're going to lead under an autocratic government. Why do they feel that way? Well, we have a government which is the result of the democratic process, but it's a government that has actually questioned the the democratic process throughout its existence. It started out on a wave of anti-immigrant feeling. 
the rise of the extreme right and the sense of nationalism is being very much tolerated by the ruling government here who are in the middle of what they describe as a right-wing revolution. So basically a combination of nationalism and racism. They created this atmosphere of uh, siege. We are a country under siege. The European Union is trying to impose its uh, rules and ideas on us. Poland's ongoing judicial and media reforms threaten the rule of law. The warning comes from Europe's human rights body. The Polish government has slammed the EU's probe as undue meddling in its national affairs. They have stigmatized group after group, naming people who are otherwise respected or at least tolerated, like LGBT minority. The governing right-wing Law and Justice Party launched blistering attacks on the LGBT community. It is the political class that forbids us to love, but society is more open-minded. So creating this kind of scapegoating mechanism and it's clear that the law and justice supporters believe that democracy is a situation where the majority imposes its will completely on the minority. So it's not liberal democracy in the sense the majority wins, but the minorities maintain their rights. It's a kind of tough majority rule. And these kids have been hearing this for the last four years. If you are now 15 or 16, it's basically your, your whole mature or rational life. The Law and Justice Party is still popular in Poland because of its social policies as well as its economic ones. They won a parliamentary majority last year, and their president, Andrzej Duda, won re-election in July. But Agnieszka says Poland is just one battle in an ongoing war between an international feminist movement and an international anti-abortion movement. I would say that we are part of an international wave of protests of which New Menos and the Women's March on Washington were also a part, right? This is a new wave of feminism which is much more radical and also much more egalitarian, intersectional, and I would say dignified but also angry than the previous wave. My, my wave was more hopeful about the possibility of getting women's issues in the mainstream. But then the mainstream became right-wing populism with Trump in the States and Brexit and Britain and Bolsonaro in Brazil. It's happening all over the world. And the anti-gender movement has been in coalition with the right-wing populists everywhere. On October 22nd, the same day the Constitutional Tribunal announced the abortion ban, Poland joined the Trump and Bolsonaro administrations in the U.S. and Brazil and several other countries in signing the Geneva Consensus, which says, quote, there was no international right to abortion. We're marking the signing of the Geneva Consensus Declaration, an historic and unprecedented statement on women's health, life, the family, and sovereignty. On behalf of Poland, I am pleased to co-sponsor the Geneva Consensus Declaration. Family is of fundamental importance to every strong society. Together, we are stronger. But while the government makes alliances abroad, Gosha says the feminist movement opposing them at home is getting bolder and bolder. Four years ago, we were discouraged from using the word abortion and feminism, even though we were fighting for that. Now we can say much more. Now we can use much stronger language and nobody's, well, less people get offended. Secondly, you can see the generational difference. Like feminism became finally something that is on an Instagram of Polish influencers. So things have changed. And the third thing is that 
we do allow politicians to be engaged in those protests, which was not the case before. We didn't trust politicians at all back then. Now we understand that we need some politicians, some people from the left wing were elected and we have people that we can talk to in the parliament, which is cool. And it really helped. For Victoria, who wasn't old enough to vote after the protests in 2016, this could mean a change in politics. It was beautiful that the politicians also take part in this. The people uh, which were protesting like me in 2016 and were not mature, they now are mature and they can uh, vote. So maybe it will change something because now they are older and they can uh, vote. And in a lot of ways, those votes are building on feminist fights of the past. It will be a beautiful gesture for all the women which were fighting for our rights in the past, for our voting rights 100 years ago. The history is making right now and we are a part of it. And I think in some years, the people will be learning about us in the history books. Agnieszka agrees that this movement is both making history and continuing it. I participated in demonstrations that had 100 or 200 or maybe 2,000 participants. And to see 100,000 kids in the streets is really quite a thing. I cry a lot watching these things happen before my eyes. You know, I'm, I'm part of the generation where, where women would, would tend to say, I'm not a feminist, but... And now women say, of course I'm a feminist. What else could I be? And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, with Dina Kisbe, Oni Wohacha, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is the Take Sound Designer. Steve Lack designed this episode. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer, and Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. We'll be back.